You're listening to Team Talk on ESPN Radio, 1017 The Team. Hour number three, Team Talk, ESPN Radio, 1017 The Team. Sam Hauser, Scott Galetti here for one more hour, and we're starting out right out of the gate with a follow-up on a story that broke as we were finishing up Team Talk last night. Mid-sentence, Scott jumps in, and I'm, and I'm glad he did because we, you know, we breaking news is we got to get to it. And it was breaking news out of the University of California Board of Regents meeting, finally giving the okay to let UCLA go to the Big Ten after you know these contracts were signed months ago. These tens of millions of dollars annually in these media rights deals. These deals are signed. Board of Regents says not so fast, a la Lee Corso, but it looks like we can finally put this to bed. But we are going to get a little bit more information as we go to the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Cool Take Hotline. Being joined by Jim Alexander from the Southern California News Group, friend of the show. Jim, good to talk to you again. So I do want to start with something that was referenced right out of the gate in your piece in the LA Daily News. The headline reads, after the bluster, UC Regents allow UCLA to head to the Big Ten for a price. And we're going to get to the price part here in a second. But this is what I've always been curious about as long as this has been going on from these Board of Regents meetings to comments that we've heard from Governor Newsom for the last few months now. Was it really bluster or how how serious was this? Like where was how strong really was the Board of Regents case in thinking that they were going to stop this? I don't think it was very strong at all. Um, it, it, to, to me, it was kind of baffling, and I, I think most of it was they were just their feelings were hurt because UCLA went ahead. UCLA Chancellor Gene Block went ahead and decided we're going to the Big Ten along with USC, and we'll kind of get into the mechanics of that later. But the regents were caught off guard. The governor was caught off guard. And, you know, we were all caught off guard. And, you know, the natural reaction is, well, what? this isn't fair. They can't do this. What can we do about it? And <clears throat> along the way, I guess the the council of the regents suggested that, yeah, you do have the power to block this, but I, you know, I, I don't know if they really could. And I think basically this whole process over the last five and a half months <clears throat> was mainly to make sure Cal, get, Cal got its piece of flesh out of this. Because basically what's going to happen, SC and UCLA are going to leave for the 24-25 school year. And... The Pac-10 will, or the Pac-12, it'll be the Pac-10 after that, right. but it'll technically still have the Pac-12 name, will be devalued. Uh, they're next, they're, they're, they are uh, negotiating for their next media rights contracts now. Uh, probably what's going to happen, and John Wilner of our, our sister news group up in the Bay Area has been on top of all of this immeasurably, and it, what it seems like is the next Pac-12 media contract will include the ESPN and Fox and what have you, but also probably a streaming service or two like an Amazon or an Apple to, to get more money. But even so, however more money they get will be less with that 10-team configuration 
than it would have been with L.A., the number two media market in the country, in the fold. So the, the whole idea behind this is, well, gosh, we've got to make UCLA pay for what they're doing to their sister school up in the north. Let me ask, let me ask you this. Is there anything like that in New Mexico where the University of New Mexico and New Mexico State are, are joined at the hip this way? Or is it, is it that these are two completely separate situations and, and what, done, what one does doesn't apply to the other? Because that's, it's, I guess it's kind of unusual in California that the, the UC system it's, you know, Cal and UCLA are the two big dogs, and everybody else plays mid-major, Division two or what have you. But it's like they're tied at the hip whether they want to be or not. Yeah, and I'll let Scott chime in here in a second, but I don't know another university system in the state that operates the way that the, that the California system does. Just with what you describe, with how intertwined all these schools are, how many different you know sister schools there are. Never mind just the, the the amount, but the way that they are tied like this, where UCLA leaves and they have to pay Cal. I don't. Uh, t- t- the short answer to your question is no. It's not like that here, and I don't know another state in the country where it is like that, Scott. Well, the best way to answer it is this way, Jim. University of New Mexico basically would be the equivalent of the University of California, and New Mexico State would be the equivalent of Long Beach State. So they're a state school as opposed to University of New Mexico being a University of New Mexico school. Okay, so they're not they're not part of the same system. Okay, that and I and I know in other states that, that the state legislatures get involved over, for example, Louisville and Kentucky playing each other in football or, or that sort of thing. But this is, you know, this is more granular, <laughs> and it's 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 like people are are weighing in on this that don't necessarily know what they're talking about when it comes to intercollegiate athletics. Uh, the the previous Regents meeting in November, uh, Carol Christ, the uh, Chancellor of of the University of California Berkeley. Uh, got the microphone and talked about how she decried all the changes that were going on and pay for play and and the the uh, concentration of of teams in big conferences and this and that and I'm sitting there listening to it and I'm thinking obviously you don't follow this thing closely right well and you bring up <laughs> an important point there Jim because that's one of the other parts of this as this has gone on you mentioned in your piece in the LA Daily News this 168 day saga if the people involved in this if the, the powers that be in the decision makers because this deal had already been signed with the Big Ten I get that their feelings were hurt but if they really understood the gravity of what they were getting in the way of they didn't they didn't, and 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 as I mentioned in in the the column this morning, you know, all all the talk has has been about the process and and you know how the regions felt sandbagged and this and that. One of the regions, Keith Ellis, got up yesterday and you know did the usual talking about the process and how it needed to be discussed more and keep this from happening again, but. He made the point that the chancellors, bottom line, should have the responsibility and the right to make the decisions that affect their own campuses. And he, he noticed, you know, he, he noted athletics is a different deal, 
and he said something like, each campus has its own mascot for that purpose. Well, yeah, I mean, they're competitors. <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> do you understand that? And, and I, I got the feeling just from, from what I was able to pick up and, and going back through previous meetings that most of the regents really are not savvy to the idea that intercollegiate sports is a business, first of all. I mean, maybe there will come a point years down the road where the athletic departments separate themselves from the universities. That, okay, we play, we represent the University of, the University of California, but you know, it's, it's two separate entities rather than what we have now. Right. Again, we're talking to Jim Alexander here on Team Talk ESPN Radio 101.7. The team, the Southern California News Group, getting us up to date on the latest from what hopefully, for everybody's sake, will be the last of these uh, University of California Board of Regents meetings. I saw a couple videos on, on Twitter last night, Jim, about some some protests that were going on at this meeting. What was going on last night? Oh, yeah, because because the academic workers, like the teacher's assistants and whatnot, have are on strike to, to, to mm. get a better, a, a, a better pay situation because most of them complain that, that they're having trouble making ends meet and actually being able to, to find housing in, in some of the most expensive regions of the United States because of what they're getting paid. So this, is, this has been a strike that, that's gone on for over a month. And there was a, a huge rally outside the building where the regents meeting was supposed to take place. And I guess, I guess what happened is some of them decided, well, we're going to do a sit-in, just like the 1960s, okay? And you, you probably saw the tweet of the, the university police cuffing these people and taking them away. Right. So if there, was, there was a delay. There was a delay because the regents were in closed session before they got into open session, and there was a delay before the open session began while they cleared out the room of, of the protesters and, and things kind of quieted down. So just another day in California. Jim, one of the things I wanted to ask about the money that is apparently due to the University of California, Berkeley, is this nutritional money? Reading the story, or am I uh, misreading what's in the? Uh, we're, no, no <laughs> we're, we're, it seems kind of confusing reading that. We're talking about two different things here because there's like all the the things that were stipulated in this agreement. Um, let me see if I can go back and and find. I mean, they're they're talking about things things to help the athletes, things to help the athletes deal with the increased travel demands and, and everything that, that come with going to the Big Ten. Those are the mitigation measures that they're talking about. So they're talking about athletic support, um, additional learning specialists, investment in learning technology, nutritional support, um, mental health services, uh making sure athletes have access to their professors and to remote courses and that sort of thing. So, so you're talking about 9 million, maybe as much as 12 million, just hmm. in that, to, to help the athletes. And then the other part of this is 
the Berkeley tax, which <laughs> which it was agreed on unanimously by the regents, as you might expect. And basically, of course, that was the part where I where I talk about how the regents are demanding that UCLA compensate Berkeley for the anticipated loss in media rights revenue. Hmm. Okay. So and, that makes and a originally, bit of sense. and originally, let me let me jump in. Originally, the original document that they'd agreed on said two to five million dollars, but in the course of yesterday's meeting, they decided let's make it ten. So then they got into open session and they did a roll call vote on increasing the ceiling there from five million ten million and. That was passed unanimously. The actual agreement was passed by an eleven to five vote. So there were five there were five no votes for whatever reason on on that mm. question. Again, we're talking to Jim Alexander, Southern California News Group here on Team Talk, talking about the uh, University of California system Board of Regents meeting that finally, hopefully, shut the door on on all this drama, allowing. UCLA to go to the Big Ten and finally put this whole thing to bed. Do you want to mention it as well? Uh, you can find the link to it on his Twitter at Jim underscore Alexander. A book called Dodgers, an informal history from Flatbush to Chavez Ravine. You can find that wherever books are sold. And, you know, uh, it, there's so much story to tell, of course, for the Dodgers from the late 1800s, everything in Brooklyn. Now, you know, this time that they've been in LA, was there any one particular time frame or stretch of Dodger history that you wanted to, to focus on, Jim? As it turned out, you know, the, most, of the, most of the stuff that has happened since they were in L.A., I, you know, I know about. I mean, I, I've covered a lot of it, and I understood it, and, and that, that part was pretty easy to put together. Going back to the very beginning, and the 1880s and 1890s and the early 1900s, I found that fascinating. It was it, It's one of those things where you don't really think about it until you start digging into it. And just the whole, the whole process of how this team came to be and how Ebbets Field was built and, and the, the, the teams that, that actually won pennants in, in 1889 and 1890. I, I found it incredibly fascinating, more fascinating than I thought I would. And the, the, way, the way the game was played then and, and some of the threads that have kind of repeated themselves through the years. For instance, in, in 1890, uh, there was a group of breakaway players that formed their own league because they were upset wow. with ownership. And, you know, <laughs> so... So things that seem may seem new aren't new. No, absolutely. So there you go. You know, uh, we have a lot of Dodger fans around here for the Dodger fan in your life. Holidays coming up. If you're looking for something, well, there you go. Telling the whole story from the late 1880s to everything that's gone on. You know, World Series last couple of years and everything in between. Dodgers an informal history from Flatbush to Chavez Ravine. Uh, Chavez. And let Rubin. me let me please let me add. There's a there's an entire chapter devoted to Tommy Lasorda. And those in Albuquerque who are still around who remember Tommy managing the Dukes, I think you'll get a kick out of it. 
Well, there you go. If that's not a tease right there to set it up, I don't know what is. Go get the book. It's a great read by a great writer, and uh, we always love having him on. Jim, good to talk to you, and thanks so much for the time. Thanks. You got it. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Jim Alexander, Southern California News Group. Again, Dodgers, an informal history from Flatbush to Chavez Ravine, and maybe there will be an excerpt in there about Tommy Lasorda honking at Scott. (laughs) I don't know about that part, Sam, but there's definitely going to be something about Tommy Lasorda, the great manager that he was here in Albuquerque, and, of course, for many, 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 many seasons with the L.A. Dodgers. Well, that whole conversation pretty much summed up what I I had anticipated that that was going to be the case. And I get that that maybe the proper channels weren't followed or the proper steps in protocol weren't necessarily followed. But this, to me, comes off as a really bad look for the California school system. No, it really does. It's a horrible look, in my opinion. If, if that's the case that, I mean, we kind of gotten hints from people who are really inside the story for the last few months that there wasn't a whole lot that they could do anyway, but it was, you know, what, what's that what's that saying? Fire and fury signifying nothing or whatever that saying is. I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. just pounding the table and, and throwing a hissy fit for the sake of throwing a hissy fit to what end game? I mean, if, if you're going to go this far with it, you better you better see it through. Yeah, you better see it through, and you better have the receipts to make something happen. Otherwise, you're just uh, you know sounding like sour grapes. Which in this case, I think that does. The only thing that I wish that I could have asked Jim was if he believes University of California, anybody else, has a chance at uh, getting out of the Pac-12 to maybe the Big Ten or somewhere else. But that was, uh, other than that, I mean, he, uh, he crossed the uh, T's and dotted the I's. Well, I mean, in, in this in this new era of college sports, because that's exactly what it is. I mean, we had the, the news earlier today. We talked about it in Top 5 at 5, NCAA bringing in a new president to replace Mark Emmert, uh, stepped down earlier this year. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, who's, you know, a, a, most of a lifetime politician, political family. You know, you got the the Pac-12 bringing in somebody who was not a conference commissioner. He worked in Vegas at MGM. You got uh, the the Big Ten, the Big Twelve. We're we're going outside of the way. Like the one of the one of the real, I think, dividing lines on a lot of this with college football, Scott. Whether it's you know teams moving conferences, the realignment hesitation around what to do around NIL. I mean, you talk about college sports as an institution and that's the way we've always done it. That's how you make that's the way we've though that's the way we've always done it crowd uncomfortable is exactly what we're seeing now in college sports and it couldn't have played out any more to a T than with this board of regents. So we have a Massachusetts politician taking over the NCAA, does that mean that UMass is going to be a front runner for the college football playoff? That's the way politicians work, right? Well, maybe they'll finally get in a conference. <laughs> that too. Yeah, I doubt it. 